Typical 25. Your last college semester begins and you live 90 miles away so you can concentrate on your Monday, Wednesday, Friday college algebra class at the new community college on the west side of Phoenix. You living back home, your father dropping you at Sky Harbor Airport on Monday nights so you can grab the shuttle to Tucson for your other classes on Tuesdays. You bunk on the couch of your old high school-age girlfriend who has just started after a year of community college back in Phoenix. It's the first time you have any kind of relationship with an ex-girlfriend, and there's something dependable about a friendship with someone who knows you so well, and you begin to look forward to those nights. They break up your otherwise monastic existence. The bad reviews for Brett Easton Ellis's book start rolling in, and you're not sure why, but you write a letter to the editor of Entertainment Weekly in response to one of the harsher reviews, and to your surprise, they print it. The thrill of your name in the magazine, matched only by the message on the answering machine at home that Vanity Fair is going to print your letter as well. The stars aligning when you happen upon a flyer on the fourth floor of the Modern Languages building on campus where all your creative writing workshops are held for a new low-residency MFA program at Bennington College. You take in the news, stunned a little, and then steal the poster so that no one else sees it before you can get your application in. You include your latest short story written from the ashes of your failed novel, your favorite creative writing professor told you after class that it was probably a publishable story, and so you spend an afternoon licking envelopes and stamps to mail it off to all the literary magazines listed in the back of the latest Best American Short Stories collection, the book your professor used in class. There's a lot of hope and optimism. The federal government grinds to a halt and shuts down. Something you didn't know could even happen though the finger-pointing is less of a surprise. The former president, Ronald Reagan, announces that he has Alzheimer's, the last the public hears from him. One night, a few weeks before your December graduation, you're out at the pool in your ex-girlfriend's apartment complex, and it strikes you that you have no alternative plan should you not get into Bennington, that you should have applied to a handful of places. Arrogance isn't to blame. You just aren't interested in pursuing the course of study if it isn't at Bennington, in the shadow of Brett Easton Ellis. The coming new year is a blank slate. You have no idea where you'll be living, what you'll be doing for work. Nothing. The vacuum created by the absence of any kind of schooling, too frightening to contemplate, vanquished by the phone call from the director of the MFA program who calls during dinner to tell you that you've been accepted and will start in January. And then more great good luck. The editor of one of the literary magazines in New York City you mailed your story to sends a handwritten note in pencil saying they're considering publishing it so that by the time of your graduation from the University of Arizona, please stand and turn your tassel along with thousands of others. Congratulations, goodbye. Your life as a graduate student and possibly a published author has begun. You gather your father and two brothers under the same roof in a rented house in a master-planned development in Phoenix, 
built around a large man-made lake. The first time you've been in the same house and you can't remember how long. There's no money to furnish the five-bedroom pink stucco house as it should be, but everyone has their living space and you use the extra room as a writing office. You're so eager to start your first 10-day residency of the low-residency MFA program at Bennington College that you take a red eye to Albany, not realizing that you'll have to wait until dawn to hire a driver to take you to the secluded campus in the woods of Vermont, the slatted sunshine, its own miracle, as you are expelled from the covered bridge at the foot of campus, which is deserted at this time of the morning. You survey the landscape you've seen only in pictures, the red barn structure that houses the administration, the white 70s style architecture of Crossett Library, the clock towered commons at the head of the enormous lawn buried under crisp snow that runs out to the end of the world, so named because the lawn drops off like a runway, your vision taking flight over the green mountains. Green and white clabbered dorms line the lawn, and you wonder which one Brett Easton Ellis lived in, eager to commune with his ghost. You set your bag down on a picnic table and scan the horizon for signs of anyone else. Brett Easton Ellis probably sat at this picnic table, you think. You let yourself into a near dorm, all the doors unlocked, it seems, and think Brett Easton Ellis probably partied in this common room, and as your head hits the pillow in an unlocked room, the first real sleep since you left Phoenix, you wonder if he even perhaps lived in the very room you're in. It's a possibility, until you learn otherwise. You've been listening to Typical of the Times, Growing Up in the Culture of Spectacle by Jamie Clark, author of the novel World Gone Water. 